0: To the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor Chris Star. We're doing this series we've entitled God Breathe about the Word of God. I want to continue that series this morning and to I've kind of subtitled this Hearers and Doers, and you'll understand really fully what that means in just a minute. I want you to turn to the New Testament book of James chapter one, and just keep your Bible open there because I'm gonna actually come back to this and preach it, but it's gonna be on the screen. James chapter one, verse 21. Here's what the Bible says. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of a wickedness. That means abundance of wickedness. And receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man, observing his natural face in a mirror, for he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Thank you. You can be seated. Um, One time, the staff and I were riding in my truck. It was probably a Monday because we have staff meeting at 1045 on Monday morning and then we go out uh, to lunch. It's mandated because that's the one time we get to be together uh, because the rest of the week we're going in different directions. And so we were either going to lunch, coming back from lunch, and we talk about a lot of things. We talk about football. We talk about sports. We just talk about a lot. We talk about church. And, and at this particular occasion in the car, Bill, Pastor Billy was in the front seat and Gabe was in the back seat. I remember that. And I guess Evan, I don't know. Else. And they, they started, the conversation started talking about technology. They started talking about technology and what they could, how they could use that technology in our church. And then they started talking about this specific kind of technology. And they were using terminology that fit the technology. I couldn't understand one thing they were saying. I was clueless. And this went on for a while, and finally, they got done. And when they did, and I'm just driving along not saying anything, I said, guys, I didn't understand one thing y'all said. I've been listening, I mean, it This, I said, y'all ever watch a Charlie Brown special? I said, when the teacher comes on to talk, she doesn't talk, she goes, Wah, 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 I said, that's what I heard. Gabe said, hey, Billy. Wah, 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 wah. And Billy said, well, Gabe, wah, 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 wah. I said, that's all I heard for five minutes. It is frustrating when you can't understand something that's going on that's important and vital, Right? I remember when I went to Honduras to be the guest speaker for their national convention. I don't speak fluent Spanish and I do a little, I'm a little better now. Then I was really bad and and I went and I'm the guest and you know, of course obviously I have to speak with a translator but I'm in a back room, it's lunch and so they've got the director of the of, of the nation of Honduras, the Church of God and, and all these different officials and I'm there as a special guest and so the director, he, he, he came to America. He actually was a medical doctor, but now he was a, a ministry director. And so he, he could speak English and Spanish. And so he would talk to me. But at one point in the conversation, everybody else at the table was, was non, non-gringo. And I'm the only gringo. And so they're just talking. Well, they get into this conversation and they're just in Spanish and they're going to town. And Julio, you know how y'all speak fast? Y'all speak fast. I mean, I have to go, despacio, despacio, por favor, slow down, please. And so, it, it's fat. And Julio, we probably sound fast to people who, who, who are Hispanic but don't know English. So, they're just, they're going back and forth, and I'm just sitting there. And I pride myself in being a conversationalist. I can't say anything because I finally looked at Oto, Oto, Otonio, Dr. Otonio, and I said, oh, this is frustrating. I said, man, I, I, can, I'm, I pride myself in being in a conversation. I don't understand one word y'all saying. I can't get in a conversation. This, he looked at me, he said, <clears throat> I totally understand. Because he had been over here and he was learning English and he would sit around. He said, been there, done that. I understand. So it's frustrating when you can't understand something. This is especially true when it comes to the Bible. Now, Pastor Evan got up here and wonderfully did this great job last week of challenging us to read the Bible, and hopefully you are reading your Bible like you should and consistently, and this series is hopefully moving you, making you aware, but here's the question. What good is it to read the Bible if you don't understand it? So we want you to not just read the Bible, we want you to understand the Bible. And what I want to say to you today right out of the gate is this, this is a fact, if you're born again and you're a believer, it it is possible for you to understand the Bible. I've heard people say, I just don't understand it, but you can People say, I don't, I, I don't get, yes, but you can. Let me tell you why. There's a scripture that we use around here, and it's a favorite because it's kind of, you know, we get revved up about it. Jesus said these words. He said, you shall know the truth. Come on, say it, and the truth shall make you free. We get fired up about that. We use that, right? And that's a great verse. But just stop and take the first part of that verse and think about it. You shall know the truth. Jesus said, you're gonna have the capacity when you're born again, to know the truth. Matter of fact, not just the capacity, you're gonna know it. You're gonna understand it. So Jesus said that when you're born again, you can know the truth. You can know the truth, you can understand the Bible. If you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, verse 16, here's what the Apostle Paul said. Pa- the Apostle Paul said that we, if we're born again, have the mind of Christ. When before you were saved, you had a, you had a, a natural mind. You had your mind, you had a worldly mind. And if you'll notice that people that could have a PhD in some other field will get the Bible and they don't even understand it. And you can take some guy with an eighth grade education who is born again and he understands the Bible more than the guy with a PhD because there is a spiritual element to this that you can't factor in with education. Education is great. I'm all for education as you know. I'm educated, but but when it comes to the Bible, it has, you have to take knowledge and education and the Holy Spirit, so you have the mind of Christ, which means you have the capacity, you have the mind of Jesus. So you have the capacity to understand things about Jesus because you have the mind of Jesus. The other thing Paul says is that you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Do you know that the Holy Spirit is the author of the Bible? The Bible says that holy men of old wrote the Bible as they were moved upon By the Holy Spirit. So he is the author of the Bible you hold in your hand. Now, what does that mean? That means that if the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, and he does, if you're born again, the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, then the author of the book is there to tell you and explain to you what the Bible means when you read it. Isn't that wonderful? Like, I'm an author, I've got a book, and if you read my book and you didn't understand something, what if I lived inside of you? You could say, Pastor Chris, could you please explain this to you? And I'd be there to explain it to you. That's how it is with the Bible. The Holy Spirit is there. You can say, Holy Spirit, I don't understand this in the Bible. Can you explain this? And the, John said, and like 1 John, we have an unction, an anointing from the Holy One where we can understand spiritual truths. Is that not cool or what? You're anointed to understand the Bible. Oh, that's powerful. That's good stuff right there. We can just quit and go home. That's worth That's just good. But we're not going to quit. So you have the capacity if you're born again, understand the Bible. But there's more. How can I properly understand the Bible so that I can comprehend what it says? Or maybe better stated, how can I properly study the Bible so that I can understand what it says? Now I'm going to introduce you, some of you, to a word that you never heard before. It's called hermeneutics. Hermeneutics. That's a $12 word. Uh, if you talk about a hermeneutical process, that's a $12 statement. But how many of you have never heard the word hermeneutics in your life? Let me see your hand. Okay. Don't be Don't be ashamed. Don't but Pick your head up. Don't be ashamed. It's okay. It's one of those preacher things. It's a preacher thing. Hermeneutics is the field of study where you're, you're going to properly interpret the scriptures. That's what it is. It, that's, that's, it's a big word. To pro, And the goal is to find the precise meaning of the original authors. That's the goal. You know, people will make the Bible say what they want it to say. But that's not the goal. The goal is to find out what God meant for it to say. So you want to get what God is saying through the author to you and that's what hermeneutics does and proper hermeneutics is really important why because the culture and the customs of the of the bible times are so radically different from our culture and our customs and our times that you have to have something to bridge that gap and hermeneutics does that. Another thing, which we're gonna talk about in just a second, is there are different literary styles in the Bible and if you don't recognize that style, you may not be able to understand the Bible. So hermeneutics helps with this. Now what we're gonna do right now for the next few minutes, and it may seem like you're in college and I may seem professorial, but that's okay. Every service is different. I'm going to give you on the screen a hermeneutical outline that you can use so that when you're reading a passage of scripture, if you take this, you can go deeper. In the, in the Bible. How many of you like to go deeper and really understand the truth? Now, what I'm gonna recommend, you can write these down, what I'm recommending, I do this at conferences, my staff does, get your phone out right now, take a picture of that. Uh, take, take your finger and blow it up, blow it up, get it up close. There's gonna be two screens. There will be two screens. Take a picture of the screen, then you'll have it, okay? And then you can do with it you know, however you need to do that later, but let me go through this. So I'm reading a passage of scripture in my daily Bible reading. How can I really understand what I'm reading? The first thing to do is examine the historical cultural setting. What's the history? What's the culture that's involved with this passage of scripture? Now the basic way to do that is ask who's the author? Who's the audience? What's the date? What's the, what's the purpose for the book? Okay. All right, so if you take like the book of Exodus, Moses was the author, the audience was the nation of Israel, not just them, but all Jews, because that's the law of God. So that it was an audience that went for hundreds of years, even to today, because we read it. And the purpose for the book of Exodus was basically to tell the story of how the Israel came out of Egyptian slavery and came out and created a brand new nation, the people of God. So that's the first thing. Second, you want to determine the context. What's the overall theme of, of the book, okay, and I've kind of already sh- shared that, and then here's the thing, what happened before and after so that I can understand what I'm reading now, okay, that's called context. Have any of you ever been watching a movie at home, and your spouse came in the room, sat down, and decided to watch the movie with you in the middle, what happens? You're engrossed. You don't want anybody to say anything. You're in the middle of the storyline, and, and I'm just, I'll be, since I'm a guy, I'll pick the, and your wife goes, who's that? What's going on? Why are they doing that? Is that a good guy or a bad guy? Why, why is she doing that? What's going on? here? And what are you going, would you be quiet? i mean, in the middle of the movie. Go away. Go do something, right? Is, how many have ever done that, right? what's wrong your wife if it's your wife or your husband your spouse is coming in the middle and and he or she is looking for context they want to know what's going on before so so she wants you to tell everything that just happened for the last 45 minutes in the movie and believe it or not lee and i will do this and so i have to give her a synopsis in 30 seconds he's the bad guy he's the good guy. He killed their family. He's going to do this and he's trying to get back and he's, he's going to take revenge on all them. And this, he's the good guy trying to bring justice. That's it. Shh. Yeah, that's funny. That actually happened this week. I was watching the Marvel movie, The Punisher. Anybody ever watch that? I was watching The Punisher. Anyway, so I just remembered I actually did that this week. Maybe that's why I thought of it as an illustration. So you're in the middle of the context. Here's the thing. If you read a scripture that's, that you're just opening your Bible and reading this scripture and you haven't read what happened before and what happened afterwards, you may not really understand what's going on. So sometimes you have to read, like you said, well, I just like to read a verse or two, pastor, and just I just like to feed on it. You're like a cow. I just want to chew on it. It's my cud. I just chew the cud. I just take one or two. The problem with you, that's great if you just want to go deep in those two verses, but what what if you need all eight verses in that passage to really understand those two, Okay, so you got to get context. Next, identify keywords and their meanings. There is a big, fancy $12 phrase for this. It's called doing a lexical syntactical analysis. Doesn't that make me sound smart? And a lexical syntactical analysis is basically finding out what the words mean. And I love doing lexical syntactical analysis. If you listen to my preaching a lot of times, you'll notice that I take one word, and I'll, I'll give you the meaning and the depth of the word. And so that's what you got to do while you're reading. There might be a word that just jumped. All right, in the book of Exodus, there are key words. Deliver, sacrifice, tabernacle, temple. Those are, those are four big words that are in the book of Exodus. Key words. And so you want to understand what those words mean so that you can better understand the script. So but whatever text you're reading, is there a word that just sticks out? Then you gotta ask, how does this passage fit into the total pattern of God's revelation? How many of you know from Genesis to Revelation, it might be, you know, it might be sixty-six books. Uh, With spanning 1,500 years with 40 different authors, but how many know there's a theme that runs from the beginning to the end? How many know from Genesis all the way to Revelation, there's the red bloodline of Jesus Christ that runs all the way through of salvation? Okay, so you gotta say, what's the theme? And you gotta say, is this Old Testament? Is this New Testament? Is this about law? Is this about grace? Is it about salvation? And then you look at other scriptures that might help you understand what this is all about. Hopefully, I'm gonna show you that in a minute. All right, next one. Here's the next one. Then you identify the literary form used. So this is really important because it helps you understand things better. So a simile, I know right now you think you're back in, in English class, but a simile is, are phrases that begin with like or as, right? Like Psalm 1, uh, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of them. God understands the way the sinner sit in the seats of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night, and he shall be like a tree, planted by the rivers of water okay he shall be like so that's a simile like a tree a metaphor is a comparison so jesus said i am the bread of life now jesus ain't a loaf a sunbeam right (laughs) it's not literal but you can't say, well, Jesus is a loaf of sunbreed, hallelujah. He's not. It's a metaphor, and it has. so he's comparing himself. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the resurrection of life. I am the good shepherd. I am the good door. Those are all metaphors, right? Okay, then you got a parable, and, we, you know, Jesus told parables all the time. Earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Usually there's one spiritual meaning, and then there's an allegory, and that's a whole different thing. Like in the Old Testament, there'll be prophets that they'll start talking about, God will say, I planted a vine, and this vine did this, and he talked about the vine. Well, the vine is a representative of Israel. But if you don't know that, you're reading, well, who in the world is he talking about? And then the longer you read it, usually you'll figure it out. Well, if you can figure it out, then you can understand it, but if you can't figure it out, you're gonna read it and go, this made no sense to me. But if you understand it's an allegory and the vine is Israel, see what I'm saying? Then you say, okay, now I get it, it makes sense. a a proverb. Okay, we got a whole book on that. There's just short, terse statements of truth, spiritual truth. Then a type. This one's really important because the Bible is full of types. Types, that's not what you do on a keyboard. Type is like a symbol or a a representation. So I'm going to give you this one. Jesus said in John chapter three, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the son of man be lifted up. So in the Old Testament, there was a time when these poisonous snakes, and this was the judgment of God, it wasn't an accident, God did this because the Israelites were disobeying him, bad, and so he sent these poisonous snakes into the camp of Israel, and these adders are biting people and they're dying because of the venom. And so Moses intercedes and says, God, please, I know you're mad, but can you please have mercy Upon the, the, the people of Israel, and he's standing in the gap for them, and God said, okay, I will. You go make a brazen brass serpent, put it on a pole, and lift it up in the camp high enough, and if somebody gets bit, and they look at the brazen serpent, I'll heal them of the venom, and they can live. That's exactly what happened. He made this brazen serpent, they stuck it up, people were getting bit, and they're dying, and they look up and, and up at the serpent, and when they did, poof, God put anti-serum or serum in their body to, against the venom, anti-venom, and they would be healed. Okay, that's that that's a type, and Jesus said it's a type, that as that serpent was lifted up on a pole to heal people of venom, and from death, Jesus said, I'm gonna be lifted up on a cross, and the devil is the serpent, and the venom is sin, and it's killing people, but if I'll be lifted up on a cross, and people will look at me who are sinners dying in sin, poisoned by sin on their way to hell, I'll save them, and I'll be an anti-venom, I'll be the serum that will eliminate the sin out of their life and save their soul. Oh, well, that's preaching right there, hallelujah. So see, that's a type. Then is it prophecy? Is it foretelling something like the book of Revelation or Ezekiel? That's your two big books. Then number six, look at commentaries, okay? And you know what? You can do this online. Now you have to be careful what you look at, but there are some reputable ones. You can buy books at Lifeway or online that if you want just a, 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 a commentary. And then finally, this is the most important one of all. Ask, is there something in this passage that applies to me? Because how many of you know we don't read the Bible just for knowledge? We read the Bible so that we can learn something and that God can change our attitude and God can change our behavior. All right, so there it is. Giving you this, a guide to proper saying the Bible. Now I know right now you're going, <laughs> you want me to do all that? Yes. Yes, absolutely. I want you to stop zinging through your text to get it over with Help him, Jesus, and I want you to block out some time, okay, and just sit down and read, and I want you to get a little bit deeper. If it's not but 10 to 15 minutes, go a little bit deeper into God's work. You said, Pastor, you're a preacher. This is easy for you. It is easy for me. It is. I can talk about historical, cultural, contextual, lexical, syntactical analysis. I can do that all day long. That's what I do for a living, okay? It is easy for me, but I want it to become easy for you say, but how am I going to do this? I can't do this. I'm glad you asked. I got an answer for you. Do you see this? This is called, that's a big old book. That's a Bible. Okay. Let me tell you about this Bible, why this Bible is so special to me. This is a study Bible. They make them. You can buy them. You can own one called a study Bible. And if I have any influence with you at all, I hope the internet breaks down because so many of you are on there looking for study Bibles this afternoon. (laughs) If I have any influence with you, if I had a wish today, if a genie in a bottle popped out and said, you get one wish, I would say I wish everybody in my church would buy a study Bible and use it. Because everything that I just put up there, you say, I can't do that. (laughs) Guess what? They do it for you. So, if you go to the book of Exodus, before you actually get into Exodus chapter one, there are pages before it, and they tell you who the author is, and they tell you who the audience is, and they tell you what the date is, and they tell you what the purpose of the book is, and they explain the major themes in the book, and they help you to get this overview. And then when you get in it and you start reading it, this, this, and by the way, you said, what is it? You keep throwing around. I, I like the new Spirit filled Life Bible. That's the one we're going We give away each week. Okay, New Spirit-Filled Life Bible. You ought to get this one. Why this one? Because it's Pentecostal. Because if you get one that's not written by a Pentecostal, when you get to Acts chapter 4 and Acts chapter 8 and Acts chapter 10 and and Acts chapter 19, and you get to Joel chapter 2, they don't understand Pentecost, or they don't believe in it, and so they try to explain it away. You don't need somebody explaining something away. You need somebody explaining it. Oh, that was good. That's just worth it right there. Pastor, that was good stuff right there. I just amaze myself. I'm just being stupid right now. I'm just joking. So you need to get it. All right, here's the thing. Then, then in this Bible, they have word studies. So if this key word jumps out of a certain text, guess what? They got a little box with that word in the original language and what it means and how you can apply it to your life. Isn't that not cool? They, you can buy these. And they have at the bottom of every page commentaries. That explains, how you read, I don't explain that. There's, there's things that I don't understand. I don't understand why they did that. Why'd they cut that animal in half and, and, and Abraham fell asleep and God went through it with a, with a burning sensor and a lamp? I don't understand all that was. It. You can go down there and they'll explain it to you and explain how that's a covenant that was being made. Okay, all of it's right here. All you have to do is spend the money and get a study Bible and start using a study Bible. Okay, I want you to go deep. I want to help you, and every, everybody find this. On your seat, there's a bookmark. Now, I want you to give the other paper away, but this one's for you to keep. It says God breathe, and on the other side, I want you to look at the, the bookmark. This is really practical. This is for you to put in your Bible. Now, if you use an electronic version, good luck. <laughs> Jamming that thing in my iPad, and it's just not all getting in there. But this is for a study. Now, here's what we did. Turn over, and I want you to see what we did. I'm going to give you, I'm going to make, this is a simplified hermeneutics. So this is what you can carry with you if, if you read. And if you've got it, let's say you got your electronic Bible. You can carry this with you, and this will at least help you to have a guide. Okay, so say I like to, you say, well, I like to read on my break, but I'm not toting that 45-pound study Bible with me. All right, well, take this with you. So look what what this is gonna do. After you get done reading, what's going on in this story of this passage? What's going on in here? Second, what excites, inspires, or encourages me about the passage? Third, what challenges, jolts, confuses, or even offends me about this passage? See, you're asking questions to help you dig deeper. Four, what does this tell me about the essence of God or the nature of Jesus? Five, how does this apply to my life? Is there a command to heed, a characteristic of God to admire, a sin to expose, or a promise to cling to? And if you'll use this every day, here's what's going to happen. You'll get so used to reading this and answering the questions that eventually you won't even need this anymore. And every time you read the Bible in your brain, you'll be saying these things in your mind. Is that cool or what? And then you'll be able to say, yes, well, when I study my Bible, I use hermeneutics, Make you sound smart. Okay, we want to try to help you, all right? That's something to help you guys out. So what I'm going to do for the remainder of the, the the service today, I want you to go back to James chapter 1. So go back to James chapter 1, hold it open there, and here's what we're going to do. We're going to talk about James chapter 1, and I'm going to preach it to you so you can see you heard preaching today, not just me being a professor. All right, here's the thing. James, the book of James. All right, here we go. We're going to do a historical cultural analysis, so we got to find out who's the author. So who do you think the author of James is? Yeah, that was hard, wasn't it? James. Right. Okay. Who's his audience? Well if you go to the first verse you'll read it, it says the Jews scattered everywhere. Well, we know these are Jewish believers. Okay, but it's, there, there, there was a persecution in Jerusalem and so the early church in Jerusalem was busted up and people had to flee for their lives, which was the greatest thing that ever happened because then they had to scatter everywhere and they started preaching the gospel. See, we Christians want to all bunch up in a house or in a church in one place and have our church and go out and do our thing. And God says, mm-mm, that's not it. I need you to get out, have church, but they get out there and be the church. Yeah. Witness, tell people about me. So they wouldn't do it. So God just gave them persecution and scattered them everywhere. By the way, which James do you think this is? I bet y'all think this is James, the brother of John, James, who was the disciple of Jesus, right? Don't answer because you're wrong. That's not him. That's what you think, but it wasn't. That James actually got his head cut off early on in the early church. He was the second martyr. Stephen was the first. James was the second. So you can't write if you don't have a head. Okay? You can't get a head in life. (laughs) All right. Anyway, so... (laughs) He couldn't find out how to get ahead. All right, so anyway, we could do that all day long. And so, and so that's I. who is this? You know who it is? It's James, the biological brother of Jesus. There's more than one James in the Bible. See, you didn't know this, but after Mary had Jesus through the Holy Spirit, then Joseph and Mary were able to get together, all right? And they had kids, and, and, and she had four boys, James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon. She also had girls, at least two girls, because the Bible talks about his sisters, but we don't know how many. So there's at least six kids, Brothers and sisters, there may have been more. They did not believe that Jesus was the son of God. They made fun of him. They did not believe him. It was only until his death and resurrection that this James actually believed, wow, my, my big brother is more than just a big brother. He really is the Messiah, the son of God. And so he became a believer. He became an apostle in the early church, and he became the apostle over the church of Jerusalem, See, so he was over the church of Jerusalem. All right, so that's who this is. All right, um, the purpose of the letter was to help people to understand how to flesh out their faith, how to take what you profess and to live it. That's that's the purpose of the letter, okay? Then you get James Church 1. Then you say, Pastor, how do you know all that? Guess what? It was in my? Yeah, y'all got it. Say it out loud. It was in my? Study Bible, exactly right. So I can learn all that from my study Bible. And you could too, because they sell them. Make my point. All right, and so you get to James chapter one, verse 21, and it says, therefore, laying aside all filthiness and, and abundance of wickedness, um, receive the implanted word, which is able to save your soul. All right, we know that he's writing to believers, but now here, this is how you gotta understand the Bible. So is he writing to believers here? Well, only if every believer in the church had backslid. Because this is a message, a gospel message to sinners. So how many know even in the church there are people that aren't saved? So in this particular passage, James is writing in this verse to sinners. That you need to repent, lay aside all filthiness and wickedness. You need to repent. You need to turn from your sin, turn to God, and you need to receive with meekness the implanted word, which, how many is that? That's the gospel. How many know that's the gospel, which is able to save your souls? For I'm not ashamed. See how you got to find other verses that help you understand things? For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone that believes. See? So that's a gospel message to sinners. All right? So that's what he says. Next verse, verse 22. Then he talks about be not just hearers of the word, but doers. Not hearers only, but doers. So now he's talking to the saints. So the next verse is he's talking to Christians and believers. And he says, If you if you read get in the Bible and you read it, and then you don't do what it says, here's where you are. You're like a person that looks in a mirror and looks in themselves, then forgets what they look like and goes on their way and doesn't do anything about it. Okay. So I brought a mirror. I, I stole Leah's mirror. So there's a mirror. You want to look in the mirror? I knew I know every woman. Would you look in the mirror? See a man will look, but a woman you'll look. Oh, look, she's freaking out. Her eyes got bug, huh? See, Brandon, you look, wouldn't you? That's because we're vain. We men are vain, or we don't really care about what we look. But Mary, you look, Mary, look. Look at there. She's one. All the women go. Jesus, don't let him come over here. I didn't get my makeup right today. I was all out of a ruse, certain rouge, and I had to use something old. And it's just I look pasty today. So don't, don't you dare bring that beard over here. I'll break it. And have seven years of bad luck. All right, so. I brought the mirror. I brought the mirror. Here's the mirror. You look in the mirror. Ladies, when you look in the mirror, right, you look in the mirror. You did it today. You look in the mirror, and you, you've gotten dressed. You're getting dressed. You look, But you look in the mirror. Let's say after you get dressed, what do you look in the mirror? You're going to make sure that everything's what? Right. Everything's in place. Everything's right. That's what you're doing. You make a. You know what? You're, you all do that thing with the makeup. And so you, you do it all. You look. All right. See, you look in the Bible to make sure everything's Right. Yeah, I'm like Jesus in this area. Ooh, I'm like Jesus in that area. Yeah, I'm doing right here. Yeah, that's right. I didn't kill anybody this week. I got that commandment covered. Hallelujah. All right. And so you're looking about, but ladies, you're looking and you go, "Whoa! my makeup smudged. Right? Makeup smudged. Man, you're looking. You went to Barberitos and got you a burrito and you got black stuff in you. I got black stuff in my teeth. The world is that get that thing out of there right so you got something in your teeth watch this if you look in the mirror and you see that your makeup smudges, ladies what are you gonna do you gonna fix it i love ladies south southern women gonna fix it you don't fix it you fix it all right and men you got something black in your teeth I'm, i gonna ask you i'm gonna tell you you're supposed to fix it get that out of there okay please you looking you're looking bad all right your Janky teeth, get it out. All right, all right, here we go. So, you get up. here's James's point. Here's James's point. Y'all are laughing. Here's James's point. Now, we're gonna get serious. James says, You get in the Word, you read the Bible, okay? And you say, Well, I got this right, got that right. Ooh, I look good. And then you read the Bible and you realize you got a smudge. You're not treating people right. You told a lie to get out of something where you were gonna get in trouble, okay? You got unforgiveness in your heart because somebody did you wrong and you hope they die and go to hell right now. You wish you could take them out. Okay? And you see that. You got something in your teeth. And you read that and you see that. And James says, if you read that and see that and go, oh, yeah, that ain't right. Oh, well. And you walk away. I got things to do. I'm going to work. Read my Bible. Read my Bible. Hallelujah. I got a bunch of other stuff, right? Woo, hallelujah. And James says, you walk away. And you don't fix it. He says, you deceive yourself. That's bad if the devil deceives you, but it's really bad when you're deceiving yourself. You do, it's bad when you're doing his job for it. Yes. Yes. Help him, Lord. Woo. Help him, Lord. I feel like Joel Talley. I feel like my brother-in-law is got up here on me. James said, you hear it, you see it, you know it's got to be fixed and you do something about it. And that's why you read the word. Not just to make you feel good about what you're doing right, but to fix what's wrong. Okay? Man, why are you all the time telling me you got to read the Bible? Well, I just showed you. Because you ain't all that in a bag of chips yet. Right? Oh, praise the Lord, you have been justified. And hallelujah, you are being sanctified. And some of you, God's working on you harder than others, right? But if you just hang on, keep staying in the word, keep working with God's program and letting God change you, one of these days you're going to be glorified. And that which is perfect will come. Okay? Then he gets to the last verse, and he says, so then, if you look at the perfect law of liberty... Now, that's a great little phrase for the Bible. Isn't that great? The perfect law of liberty. And we just know that that's true because we just quoted it. You shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Liberty, freedom, that's the word. So you look in the word, and he says you continue to do it. So y'all, what does that mean? Well, that means when you look into it, it doesn't mean you just get it read to get it over. If you just read the Bible to get it done, that's the minimum, Y'all down here. Y'all thought you were up here. Read my Bible today. No, you're down here. But if you'll study it to show yourself approve a workman that needeth not be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. So you, you study, you spend a little more time, go a little bit deeper. You get, so you're, now you're up here. So you look into the perfect law and you continue to do it. So it means you got to do this every day. Don't do it one time and then walk away feeling good about yourself. You have to learn how to study and dig into the word of God a little bit. And not forget, I already preached on that, but continue in it. This one will be blessed in what he does. You want to be blessed by God? Do you? Y'all want to be blessed by God? Don't just read it and celebrate what's right. But when God shows you something that's wrong, get on your knees and start praying. And then make decisions. Change your life. And say, I'm going to start treating my customers better. God, I'm sorry, I have unforgiveness in my heart right now, even though I don't want to. I make a decision to forgive that person who sinned against me. I release them, and I turn them over to you. See what I'm saying? You do what the Bible t- and God will bless you. Some of you wonder why you're not blessed spiritually. It may be because you're not working with God's purpose. Here's the thing I tell people. Yep, you read the Bible, but what you're going to find out is reality. The Bible reads you. The Bible reads you, it'll show you things about your life. And that's God's way of saying, Let me work on you. You need a little Botox in them lips. Yeah, we need to fix the cartilage in those knees. See what I'm saying? Let God work on you. So I want you to stand with me, come down the altar. Please. So listen to me while you're coming. So the book of James, all right, let me do this. Listen, listen while you're walking. Paul, everybody knows Paul, right? Paul, Paul wrote half the New Testament. Paul's theme was trusting God, having faith in God, but don't, don't do religious works. You can't be saved by religious works. James' theme is you need to do works if you've got faith. James almost didn't make it in the original canon in the Bible because they had to process through this, but they realized that there wasn't a conflict because James wasn't talking about doing works to get saved. James said, once you get saved by having faith in Jesus, there ought to be good works. Come on. If there's a root, there ought to be fruit, right? So there ought to be fruit. So that's what James was saying. And so that's, that's what the whole point of James is when you, and when you read it. And so here's the point that I want to make to you. Because James said, faith without works is dead. I was like, you're professing to believe the Bible, and you profess to believe this. But if you ain't backing it up, James said, "Your, your faith is meaningless. It's dead, okay? James said, show me your faith, what you believe, by your works, how you live. So here's my challenge to you today. You can claim to be a person of faith. You can talk about what you believe all day long. But here's the question that the pastor's asking. Does your life match up to what you profess to believe? Because if it doesn't, I'm gonna shoot straight, all right? Here we go. Because if it doesn't, you're a hypocrite. You're saying one thing, but you're living it, you're a hypocrite. And if there's anything that will kill your testimony to the people you live with and work with and interact with faster, it is hypocrisy. Because they can see right through you. But it's when you are genuine. And you practice what you believe, even to a fault, even to a hurt. There have been times, Ramy, because everybody think the preach, thinks the preacher has it together, which is the furthest thing from the truth. I have done something in a moment that I shouldn't have done, said something I shouldn't have said, got angry, whatever. And I have had to, in the presence of people, I've had to stop and apologize and say, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, please forgive me. And the world doesn't do that. They just say it and bow up or they'll make excuses. Make excuses, they won't say I'm sorry. We believers will say, you know what, I'm sorry. I know that doesn't match up with what I profess and I'm sorry and I'm gonna do better, I shouldn't have said it. People who are not saved are gonna look at that and go, what is that? Nobody does that. Nobody, what's wrong with you? Someone's like Tom Hanks in game League of Their Own. There's no crying in baseball. What are you crying for? And people are like, what are you doing for? You don't apologize? What, what's with that? They can't understand it. But they see that you're genuine. That's what'll win the world, is the real deal. So I had a roommate in college. Some of you heard me tell this story, some of you never heard this story. And I thought about it. my roommate college. Oh, I wish I was there because I would have laughed at him and said, ha <laughs> ha you got busted you have to know our relationship my roommate in college was sitting on the bleachers in the gym at our bible college and other students were there and he was older and he was in ministry and he, he, he was like a career college student but he was in ministry and he was talking they were ta- and he was getting real serious he was telling all these younger college students you know i have to be careful how i live because people are watching my life and all the rest of them said, yeah, that's right. That's right. We got to be careful because we're in the ministry. People are watching. They were just talking about people watching. My, my roommate's talking about, you know, they're just watching my life. He's just going on and on. Well, then the conversation changed. And like college kids do, they just bounce from one thing. Well, then they got to, they got to laughing about somebody that, that we all knew. And they got to laughing and making fun. They weren't being mean. They were just making fun. You know how you do in college. If the person was there, they probably would have done it to their face. And they're just laughing and, you know, doing this. And and my roommate, he's the instigator. He's right in the middle of it. Well, nobody notices three levels back, three, three steps back on the bleachers is a guy named George. George was a drug addict. George was as dysfunctional as anybody could be, but Jesus saved him, cleaned him up, delivered him from drug addiction, called him into the ministry, and he was at Bible college, and he was going to be a pastor and a minister and a preacher, and he was going to help other people where he was. He was going to get his hands dirty, down and dirty. Isn't that crazy? George was real quiet, man. I sat in a lot of classes with George. George hardly ever said anything, very serious, never hardly said anything, quiet. George is sitting three rows back the whole time. Nobody even notices him. My roommate's laughing because they've been making fun of him. He turns out, "Hey George, what you doing?" And look, he—they said he looked straight in my roommate's eyes, never blinked, never smiled, and said, "I'm watching your life." I wish I'd have been there. (laughs) Busted! He got you, roommate. I am told that immediately that group disbanded. Like this, they all took off and got off the bleachers. Left George all by himself. He busted them. See, you can talk about it all day long. Then now you're talking about people, and if people don't understand what you're doing, and it looks wrong. He just busted him. He said, "I'm watching your life, Pastor." Why do you keep telling us we got to read the Bible? Now we got to go deep. We got to study the Bible. Why are you doing all this? You know why? Because you are the light of the world and the salt of the earth. And you're the only Bible that some people will ever read. And tomorrow, even today, when you go to lunch, tomorrow and in your homes and in your places of, of employment and in your neighborhood, guess what? People are watching your life. So we gotta be hearers and we gotta be doers. Get your study Bible. They sell them.